Hey, what's going on? This is Billy Newman, and you're listening to the Billy Newman Photo Podcast that I'll be putting up at billynewmanphoto.com. Uh, probably posted a link to it on Instagram at some point with a bunch of photographs up there, too. And uh, in a big way, I guess this podcast, the daily version of, of uh, the recordings and stuff that I'm doing, it's really just to put up some fun content about... Uh, about what I'm up to, and today I'm trying to put together a professional day. I'm trying to stay focused. I'm trying to get a bunch done. I'm trying to kick off a bunch of stuff on the uh, the to-do list. This I kind of seem to pile up on myself. But what I was going to talk about, I don't know how many other people have to really deal with it. Probably a lot of other photographers have to deal with it. But it's sort of the the constant need, just because of the way... I guess that the world work, that business works, is that there's a constant need to kind of have to update your stuff, to have to update your product to uh, the state of the art. And I guess I was thinking about that in terms of websites. Like, it's been a couple of years, I think since maybe it was 2015, that I did my last, like, really kind of full, like, redesign or overhaul of the website that I have. And it really doesn't get a ton of traffic. It gets some traffic, it gets some, uh, like, or, you know, just like people that, that are trying to look up uh, stuff about me on the internet. But I really offloaded a ton of that out to the social media components of, of the internet. You know, so you can find me on Medium, you can find me on YouTube, find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Flickr, on 500px. It's sort of propagated out to a lot of those places. But I wanted somewhere where I owned a lot of that stuff. And it's worked pretty well for a long time, but I really feel like I need to like like cut it and then like rebuild it from the beginning to make sure everything's really tight and really state-of-the-art but I was guess I was I was thinking about it and it seems like and I want to hear the answer from anybody out there how how many months is it until it seems like you have to update the website again or you have to you have to kind of come back and rebuild it almost from the beginning not small things not graphics changes when you have a new thing up or whatever or you, you made a new photo and now you updated your your portfolio but really like rewriting it, rebuilding it, rethinking the colors, the logos, the spacing, the design, how it looks on computers, how it looks on phones. I'm trying to go through and figure out a way to, to kind of get that accomplished in an appropriate but easy way that like looks really good. And I have a ton of images, so I know I can put together a lot of graphics, but I really have to spend a lot of time going through and sort of thinking about and recutting and sort of recalibrating a lot of those things. And I got to get into that. I think that that's going to be like a really uh, necessary part of building a really tight website, a really good portfolio, really clear uh, like service package that I, that I provide and stuff. So I guess uh, to do that, it just takes like a lot of work and a lot of hours. It took me nearly a month of kind of, uh, kind of moonlighting after my job of trying to work, work and put together my last website. And I really like it. I think there's a lot of interesting parts to it, but there's a few parts that are too manual, too many things I have to do uh, specific to the website every day just to have it be developed, have it be current, be like state of the art. Like I have to add all these photographs to it and have to kind of mirror a lot of work, which I really don't like doing. I want to not duplicate work. I just want work to happen one time and then be syndicated everywhere, which is what I've tried to do. And what's really worked very efficiently for me for the website in the past, like how I have the blog set up to, or the, the posts that kind of drag all the photographs that I put up onto Flickr and Facebook, that puts them up on my website also. And it hot links from the Flickr address. And it's worked pretty well. It's interesting. It makes the post onto WordPress. It shows the photograph. And uh, so it seems like there's fresh content on there every day. But ultimately, there's really not a traffic drive through that avenue, you know, so it serves me better to have that traffic and those views go through Flickr, 500px, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube, if they can happen. So I'd like to kind of focus 
a little bit on throwing throwing out back to those a little bit more, and then maybe putting something more interesting on the on the hosted site itself, uh, or something more in depth, something more curious. I don't know, but it seems like uh, like yeah, I want that to be a little bit of a tighter example of uh, of what Billy's up to on a regular basis. And I don't know. It seems like content is is what I'm putting up all the time. So content. I hate saying that. I think it's just a hot word right now, right? It's just uh, things that you make for the internet in sort of a disambiguated media form. Disambiguated? Disambiguated media. I don't know what that would really mean, but that sounds like what content is, right? You put the content into media and then you put it on the internet. It just seems sort of generalized words. Uh, so I don't know. Really, it's I want to put photographs up. I want to try and make uh, like a couple ebooks. I want to try and make more videos. I was learning about some video stuff too and, and uh, sort of about lighting dynamics and like editing of, uh, of video stuff. It was kind of interesting learning about uh, like, f- well, filter effects. I think they're like LUTs. I'd not heard of that before, but it was like an L-U-T. It was like a, I can't even remember what the acronym was, but it, it was like one of the patterns that you add as a layer on top of your video file to give it like a colorized look like a vintage look or a film look or something like that i'm sure you can apply that kind of thing lightly through after effects and through well of course through after effects i'm sure there's there's lots of stuff around final cut that can do that sort of stuff also uh, even like Lightroom, I think, right? You can change, you could change some of the stuff, but I'm sure that's not professionally what's considered like the format system of, uh, of doing pro video, which is something I want to get more into. I need to get more into shooting video kind of professionally. You know, I was looking around at, uh, cause I, so like what I'm talking about, I want to be developing a lot. So I want to develop for my website in sort of a simple, stable, but clear kind of portfolio way. And then I really want to be developing lots of stuff for YouTube, which I think is really growing and advancing. And I think that that kind of visual media is what I need my skills to advance in the most. Uh, And then uh, like the visual media, video content, that sort of stuff. I love doing the audio stuff like this, like the podcast. I really want to keep that up as a a really frequent thing. Um, But I don't know. It's kind of interesting just trying to put together a few of those pieces and trying to do that regularly, have that kind of collected in a home that seems sort of cohesive. So I guess I'm doing it as good as anybody who who doesn't really matter and (laughs) with an audience that's uh, as large as the one that I've got. Um, So I probably worry about it way too much, but I'm sure that every photographer kind of puts in a good bit of time sort of considering how they need to update, what they need to put out, what sort of uh, content and message they need to reverse engineer to get the most benefit in their market. Um, am I thinking about it that way? Maybe not. Maybe I'm just uh, trying to put up, you know, I'm trying to make it look hot. I'm trying to kind of uh, show off that I know what the internet does. That seems to be what it is most of all. I'm trying to, well, and I'm trying to stay updated too, you know. It's, uh, I paid for the services already. I might as well just update my site. I might as well, you know, kind of pay attention to some of the design stuff. If I bothered to, you know, work so hard to build some skills in it in the first place. I suppose it seems fine enough for me to, you know, go in and pay some time to try and rebuild a new site. And what I want to do is I want to wipe everything from the old one. I kind of want to get rid of any of that cash sort of legacy stuff. I want to make it run way faster. I want to put way simpler graphics in the site all around. I think a lot of that stuff would uh, would kind of serve me well to sort of build a new visual base of what the site looks like. I got to do it. But for video stuff, I want to build YouTube content. I want to build uh, Instagram content. 
uh, around video, around recording video. I'm sure that'll ramp up over the next six months, year, year and a half as, a, as we kind of do more of that with, uh, with different equipment. But I was looking around at, of course, like the A7R, like I was telling you about yesterday, I was telling you about the Sony stuff and how I want to get into the mirrorless side which it seems like every photographer is kind of pushing for right now. In fact, it seems like in the last two months, there's been a huge surge of pressure toward the A7, A7R, uh, Sony full-frame mirrorless side, um, which I'm, I'm still really invested in. But I want to get a second camera. I was thinking about getting like a used NEX7. I work, I've been, I've been working with the A6000. The NEX7 is sort of uh, the, the predecessor to that. It came out, I think, a couple years before that. But it was directed at pro, prosumer level work. But it was an APS-C size sensor. It had an audio jack on the side, which, uh, which the, uh, the A6000 does not have an audio jack. And, uh, and then, yeah, it does, you know, does video, does HD video and stuff. So I was thinking about trying to get like a second camera that would do video while I could also then do photo and kind of stay focused on photo, but have something sort of independent that was recording video, like on trips that we did or on, on projects that, that we were working on to make photos. And um, I don't know, it kind of seems like an interesting idea, but it seems like it's, a, I don't know, just a couple hundred bucks. You can get into something like that, and which is a really cool thing now. I think that's, a uh, well, just remembering back into college, I know I've talked about it on this podcast before, but I, I used to have to spend a lot of money. Like it was $400 or whatever. 300, 400, 250, whatever it was, it was well outside of my budget just to get a standard definition, you know, camcorder, just a basic model camcorder uh, that ran like mini DV tape. You had 60 minutes, you had to convert that to, or you had to capture that, right? You had to capture that as an AVI onto your computer. It was two gigabytes every minute or something. It was an insane file format, especially for 2006. It was way, way better that we have H.264 and MP4s and ABCHD stuff, all that, all that now. Um, but having like the HD video formats, having them be like well-sized, it's amazing that we have just the opportunity to kind of capture stuff like that. And I remember early on they were thinking, no, no, there's no chance we can do that. We're going to be stuck with super huge file sizes. We're going to need enormous processors to move through any of this kind of HD video. Now we have these compression formats and, and just this understanding of how to build a computer or, you know, how we can process the information and process HD video. It's like nothing now. It used to be so hard. It's really weird how all that stuff sort of advances. And so it'll be interesting to see visually, I guess, how that progresses over the next 10 years. And I see 4K kind of coming in, but I also see that kind of hanging for a while. I don't know if there's going to be a consumer demand that really indicates that 4K is better. I think that the, cons the consumer market will move to the better product, the better offer. But I don't know if we saw that happen with 3D, even though it was assumed that that was better. And I don't wholly know if we're really going to see that as we move into 4K, um, just kind of given some of the other things that are around it. But maybe we will. Maybe it'll make more sense. I don't know. It could be kind of cool. So today, as photos go, I'm going to put up a couple images of uh, Orcas Island. Uh, I think this one today is going to be of the viewpoint up near, um, was it Constitution Point? Connection Point? It was something like that, but up at the top of the mountain. I think I talked about it yesterday. That was that viewpoint where the tower is, and you could look out east. That's where I first saw Mount Baker out there kind of uh, clouded in the, 
in the mist and stuff that's out by the Puget Sound. But uh, this photograph shows it was taken by Marina, my girlfriend, and uh, we were up on the top of the mountain and I'm kind of pointing out over the Puget Sound as you look south and you can see a few of the different islands as you kind of move back down and you can kind of look out uh, south and see like a ton of the water as it sort of flows out towards Seattle and Tacoma. Um, and it's really interesting kind of getting an observance of what that area is like geographically from that perspective of looking out and seeing how the sound wraps into Washington and then, and then pulls down really into like central Washington. It's kind of cool how that is. Um, and it made me think a little bit about, uh, you know, just like the, the layout of that. And it's really interesting looking over to uh, like the Olympus National Forest or Olymp Olympus National Park. On one side, you see these really tall mountains rise up on the west side of the sound. Then you come into the really big area of water that is that inlet of the Puget Sound. And then you see the mountains on the east side, like the Cascade Mountains as it lifts up on the east side of Seattle and in that side of Washington. And that's, you know, really interesting too. So it was a cool view to kind of get the perspective of looking around at what that area was like. And Washington's really weird on top of that too. If you take a map and you kind of look at it, there's a lot of areas uh, where you see these sort of glacial deposits of where water rested, like Lake Chelan a little further over in the Cascades. And then you kind of follow that up as you go up toward um, the Cooley Dam, is that right? The one up uh, near the Canadian border. That's like a big, a big, like, just band of water, these really kind of thin, narrow deposits of water that lested in these, it looks sort of like a mountain valley, but there's really not a big outlet of water or an inlet of water from the mountains. It's like a watershed to build it. It's just like a deposit, like a glacial deposit from that area that's, that's still there. I wonder if that's maybe a lot like what, uh, what the Lahontan area was further south, like when we get to Nevada, or what I talked about yesterday, say those post-Pleistocene era lakes that would have been outside of Hart Mountain. I wonder if that's a little bit more of what it would have looked like as we move north and we see some of these deposits of water that make these really big lakes that are still very full. You know, when we look in, in Washington and Idaho and Montana and then further north up into uh, the Columbia Mountain or the Columbia Mountain area, we see a lot of that stuff. And it seems all like it was glacially formed, you know, way, way back. So it was cool stuff. It was kind of neat to, to check that out. And you see like uh, different areas where it looks like, you know, big flows like... Um, I don't know what it would be. What is that area like near Aberdeen and Olympus in Washington? There's a big uh, kind of wide river stretch that flows out toward the coast there. And that seems like it really at one time would have had way more water in it to carve out that big area. I wonder, this is something I don't know, but I wonder if uh, the water level is a lot higher at that time. And that, that whole area would have been an inlet also. Sort of similar to how we would uh, observe the Puget Sound. Or uh, maybe it was just a big river. You know, they, they talk about the Columbia River being so high that it filled up right where I'm sitting right now. In fact, uh, this big flat basin out here in the Willamette Valley, uh, I guess used to be filled up by the Columbia River. Like the water level of the Columbia was so high that it came in and then washed out a huge section of the Willamette area as it went out toward the, uh, the ocean. But I guess it was a big spillway way back and that's why we see like Coburg Ridge behind us and uh and all the you know the flat land that comes out over here to the coastal mountain range on the side but this whole section would have been underwater at some point really interesting stuff how that is and it, it kind of it's interesting to sort of see how it explains why it's so flat and sort of what the topography is like and then now as I sit here 
It's just hay fields. It's the uh, grass capital of the world, right? The Willamette Valley as it goes north toward Portland. Right now in the middle of summer, it's all the agricultural equipment that's out. It's uh, like a ton of stuff, a ton of uh, these giant, like, what are they called? I don't know. It's not, a, it's, not like a, it's not like a lawnmower. It's a giant hay cutter. It's this big scythe system with these big spinning wheels on it. It's kind of like wire blades that go through and cut the grass. And then it kind of clips it to the ground. And then they kind of mulch it up again. And then they have that big machine come through. Is it a combine? I don't know what it is, but the big like baler that comes through and it binds everything and wraps it. Then they have it all stacked up at the end of the field. That's their yield of grass for the year. Then in six months from now, there's going to be a bunch of sheep that they put out here. Ram, a couple of those, but they'll put them out here and they'll graze on the grass. Then they pull those in the spring. They let the grass grow up until late June, first week of July. They clip it, they let it dry. And then they bind it like this. It'll stay here for another couple weeks. And then it'll be gone. I think then they'll mulch the ground. They'll, they'll till it. It'll be, it'll be dirt. They'll amend it. And uh, yeah, then they just leave it as is. And then it regrows next year. But it's really interesting to see how they harvest this like year after year. Kind of using just energy from the sun to uh, over time to produce a yield that ends up being worth money. It's kind of cool using your land, using the sun, using time as a machine that just generates uh, a market commodity that you end up selling. But that's what's out here now in the Lambert Valley and what I've been looking at. And it sucks to drive around too. It's just a giant bunch of agricultural vehicles that are kind of off to the side, like these big, like it's like a tire that's six or seven feet tall. This big squishy tire too, you know, so they can ride over a bunch of the big bumpy stuff out in, out in the fields. And it's just this giant tractor with this guy in it and he's ready to go. And then it's a, it's a truck of him and you know, a bunch of other guys behind him pulling out here into the field to stack up a bunch of hay. But it seems like a lot of work. And man, would that be the last thing I'd want to be doing is be a grass farmer in uh, 90 degree heat all afternoon. I guess it's a lot better now than it was 100 years ago when you just had to do it, you know, on the sweat of your back. Now you're just in uh, some John Deere tractor that's 18 feet tall off the ground, plucking hay and piling it. It takes one day of work per 10 acre field. Ugh, must have been a lot worse in the past. I guess we got to count our blessings. So that's the podcast for today. Check out BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Check out at BillyNewman on Instagram. And you can see some of the stuff I do on Facebook and Twitter also. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty much everything. Uh, go ahead and uh, uh, see some of the photos if you like them at Billy Newman. And I guess I should uh, be putting up some more stuff here pretty soon. Thanks a lot for listening. Talk again soon. Bye.